What's up, folks? Ohorfilly Jason, and welcome to the Bloody Bits Halloween Hangover Special Podcast. My original goal was to have this podcast out on Halloween Day, uh, but while I was posting different podcasts on the network, I realized that we were releasing 12 different episodes uh, on Halloween or around Halloween, so I decided to uh, delay this for a day, thus the hangover part of the name of the episode, thanks to Mike Merriman. And if you're not familiar with Bloody Bits, uh, welcome. Uh, this podcast started off uh, being a brand new horror movie, Blu-ray and DVD release uh, review podcast. But uh, uh, starting this year, I, I basically changed it into a uh, VOD review podcast where I get a bunch of other podcast uh, hosts from other podcasts in the Horror Network and outside of the network to review movies. Uh, in the past, it's always been VOD movies that are available to rent. But this episode, I decided to change it up a little bit, and all the reviews you're going to hear tonight are going to be films that are readily available on streaming services, and what I mean by that is these films are uh, can be located on Shudder, uh, Netflix, uh, Amazon Prime, and even Sony Crackle for one of the movies. Now, I will be personally reviewing one uh, movie myself, uh, but I also have some other podcast hosts joining me. Uh, we have uh, uh, from the No More Room in Hell podcast, Mr. Mike Merriman and Jerry Cortez. They're going to be reviewing Satan's Slaves. Uh, we also have Nudie and Suzanne from the NFW Movie Commentary podcast. They're going to be reviewing two different movies here, Apartment 212 and Terrified. We also have from the Dark Discussions podcast, Mr. Philip Perrin. And also we got a first-timer for uh, Bloody Bits. Uh, Mr. Uh, J.P. Schott from 22 Shots of Moods and Horror and Netflix and Chill. He's going to be reviewing Hold the Dark. Uh, we have another review from a regular contributor here, uh, director Charlie Brady. He is going to be reviewing Hell House LLC number two. Uh, we have the Cinema Attack crew. They're going to be reviewing Apostle, uh, or The Apostle, excuse me. And then we have also from the Horror Corridor podcast, we have Mr. Watson reviewing Witch in the Window. And then uh, myself, I'm going to be reviewing a film called Office Uprising. And spread throughout the podcast, since this is a Halloween celebration episode, even though none of the films are de- directly related to Halloween, uh, we are still going to be uh, doing some Halloween celebrations. So you're going to be hearing uh, a few tracks from John Carpenter's soundtrack for the Halloween 2018 film. Also spread throughout, you're going to be hearing a few different uh, skits and other goodies I have planned here. So I hope you enjoy, and without further ado, let's get this bitch on the road. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's get it on! Alright, now due to the time constraints of putting this podcast out... I, I haven't even heard one single review. <laughs> Normally, I uh, listen to every single review. That way I can make witty comments in between each review. Uh, but this time, I actually didn't have enough time to listen to any of the reviews. So it'll be a surprise hearing the reviews for the first time for myself. Uh, so I don't have anything witty to say. But uh, the first review is going to be Satan Slaves. And this is coming from Mr. Mike Merriman and, and also Mr. Venom, Jerry Cortez. Take it away, fellas.
tiada bosanku menatap bintang itu. Welcome to our review for the Bloody Bits Halloween, I guess, VOD special, because everything is available on VOD. I believe so, (laughs) yeah, and streaming. This is uh, Mike and Mr. Venom from No More Room in Hell, Fresh Cuts. You might also know us from Rad Radio and Theme Warriors. Wow, that's four shows we do together. (laughs) All on Horrorphilia. (laughs) All on Horrorphilia. So uh, (laughs) you know by now if you're going to be fast-forwarding through this review or not, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> I, I hope not because we actually got a good one to review for once and yeah this is probably uh the best movie we've gotten to do for bloody bits yeah we've reviewed ones that like weren't as bad as i thought they were gonna be before but i think this is the first one that's bona fide like good like this is yes. a really good movie and and mr venom what is the movie that we selected uh, today we are looking at 2017's Satan's Slaves. That's a uh, film, uh, I guess you can call it a ghost story. I believe it's out of Turkey, correct? Um, Is it Turkey or Thai? Indonesia, South Indonesia. Korea. Okay, oh, Indonesia. Okay. okay yeah. I'm sorry. I don't know why Turkey was in my head. but Because <laughs> you, ha- you haven't had dinner yet? and Maybe because Thanksgiving's coming. That's right. You're looking ahead right past Halloween. <laughs> Us fat guys, man. We can only think about food. <laughs> so anyway, uh, here's the um, description from IMDb. After dying from a strange illness that she suffered for three years, a mother returns home to pick up her children. Um, that is a very, very lame description to what is an exceptional movie. Yeah, that sounds um, like a a tearjerker like cancer movie or something. <laughs> yeah, it really does. It, I, I, that's a that's a weird one. Like the see, this is a, the evil sequel to the Notebook or something. <laughs> something like that. Yeah, I mean, and one of the first and foremost, one of the reasons I genuinely like this movie was the fact that you get like a taste of different subgenres of horror throughout the film. Um, for the most part, you know, the film starts out as uh, a bear, a fairly cut and dry Indonesian, you know, ghost revenge type story. Um, but then it kind of morphs in the second act. It kind of morphs into a kind of a cult horror type film, mm. almost like the void. Uh, think of the void without the monsters with, with just the cult and, that's kind of what they were, what it looked like they were going towards. But then by the third act, it's just a total zombie movie. So, I mean, without giving away really any plot points, you're, you're going to get a nice taste of, um, you know, three subgenres of Asian horror cinema. So it's kind of cool. You can kind of compare and contrast, you know, which one the director did best, you know, which... You know, did he maybe mess up all of them? Who knows? But uh, mm. in my opinion, yeah, this 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 movie, great story, very compelling characters, a likable family. Um, early on in the film, there is a death scene, which is obviously described in. It's not a spoiler because it's described there in the summary that I read. Um, obviously, the grandmother. It says a mother, but it, it's the grandmother of the family, like the the uh, the matriarch, if you will. Um, basically uh, passes away after, you know, suffering from some disease that they never really tell us what it is. Um, 
but anyway, the point is, is that uh, in a lot of movies, be they horror or drama or comedy, whenever you get a, mo- uh, a, um, a scene like that where there is a major death and then you've got the whole family kind of surrounding the dead family member and just crying and sobbing, a lot of movies kind of they get into like the sappy territory mm-hmm. um, to the point where it makes the scene, it, it goes from an emotional scene to almost an annoying scene. Like you're just like, I don't want to see these people cry anymore. Mm-hmm. But in this film, I'm, I'm going to give this uh, director credit and his, the director's name is uh, Joko Anwar, very Indonesian name. Um, he handles that death scene very well. Doesn't drag it along. Um, lets the family have a moment of grief without getting sappy. So, you know, so I, I genuinely, I felt for this family, you know, um, all the members of the family had their pluses, you know, different personality traits that kind of makes us as the viewer endear ourselves to them. So it's the kind of thing where you don't want to see anyone die. You know, every now and again, you'll get a movie that nails that empathy thing where, you know, you feel for these people and you don't want to see them die. But, um, yeah, I mean, overall, I absolutely love this film and highly recommend it. Uh, what do you think, Mike? I thought this movie was excellent. I, I first heard about it, um, I believe, the, the festival that Jason goes to every year, I think it's Fun 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 Fest in Austin. And uh, he he often, like, posts as he's watching movies, like after he sees them, he'll mm-hmm. kind of throw up a quick thought, maybe a rating. And as the festival is coming to a closer after it was over, usually I'll talk with him and kind of get his general opinion. And he said, uh, this was his favorite movie of the festival. So right off the bat, I was kind of chomping at the bit to track it down. And then, um, as of this recording, what we're about a month ago, um, all of a sudden it popped up on shutter is coming soon. And I was like, Holy shit. <laughs> I was like, it's going to happen. And then like, I think a week later it dropped and, uh, yeah. Um, going back to your point about how we get like different subgenres kind of mixed in there. That's a really good strength of this movie because at the beginning when, um, like you said, we're going through like the, the grandmother's passing and stuff. There's all, there's quite a few bits and pieces at the in that first kind of act that it gets kind of tropey and it's not a bad thing. It's just like, okay, so it just kind of sets a tone like, oh, this is the kind of movie it's going to be, which is fine. But then as things go on, it's like they go to different types of ways to scare you and like you said, it it goes like to cult stuff and then that third act just when the kind of the shit hits the fan and it just is amazing <clears throat> and i by the end of it it's just uh you're kind of sitting there like that was one hell of a movie and uh i am also a big fan of it i I'm, I'm kind of eager to rewatch it because it's in a way it, it there's kind of some similarities to a movie like hereditary where there is a lot mm-hmm. going on um underneath the surface there's a lot of digestive this also has a long running time it's it's what about 10 minutes shy of two hours yes so um there's lots of story to get there. there's lots of nuance and and where obviously that's true with hereditary too i think this because it is a foreign language movie 
there's, pro- I mean, there's probably a lost or a lot that gets lost in translation on a first viewing, to where mm-hmm. like after you go kind of, uh, you digest it, you kind of go read other opinions, other reviews, explanations. You, there's a lot deeper stuff going on than what you got on the surface, and that's not even to say what's on the surface is bad because it's still really good. But uh, I definitely want to check this one out again. I think this is recommended with like flying colors um oh yeah and obviously be warned listeners this is an indonesian film so it is uh, a subtitled film but believe it or not shutter actually did us horror fans a solid they actually uploaded both yep the indonesian language film and an english dub so if you can't take the subtitles there is an english dubbed version available um don't don't select the Indonesian version and think that the English version's in there. It's actually like it's uh, like its own little section. Oh yeah. Um, you'll actually see it listed twice, basically, when you look it up. So um yeah, so that's kind of I, I don't know if that Shutter's doing or if that was the filmmakers at Rappi Films, but either way, whoever's idea that was, kudos to you. I prefer. Um, watching a movie in its original language uh, pretty much 100% of the time. I have no problem with subtitles. Yeah, when I was younger, you know, maybe I didn't really want to read. But honestly, I, I, I think Let the Right One In was the last straw for me. When I watched that in English and realized <laughs> that they actually changed some of the dialogue from the original, you know, whatever language, fin- Finnish, I think, was the original language. Yeah. And... When they when they dubbed it to English, they actually changed some lines, obviously to match the lip sync, you know. Um, well, I remember but still, wasn't it there just, what, it changed it. Wasn't there like a controversy with that too? Because like when the, I don't know if it it might have predated Blu-ray, but I know when it came out on either DVD or Blu-ray, there was like that controversy because people were reading through like the uh, subtitles on that, and they had like changed. Like, exactly. Like yeah. Dialogue they changed a couple of lines fairly drastically too, to the point that it actually kind of changed the character development for one or two of the characters in there. Specifically, um, Ellie's uh, Ellie was the the female vampire, her keeper, basically the older gentleman uh-huh. that was kind of taking care of her. Um, they changed a couple of his lines of dialogue, which drastically changed his personality. Like he, you know, he's almost a likable character in the original one, but then in the English one, I don't know. They they give him a, you know, almost like a little sinister edge to him, and I didn't like it. So that was basically the last straw for me. I basically decided, nope. If if I can watch it, and if I can watch a foreign film in its original language, I will do it 100% of the time. And to this day, I don't regret it. I, you know. Obviously, especially when you're podca- when you're a podcaster, it's kind of hard to watch a subtitled film and then still take notes while you're hoping not to miss anything on screen. So it is a little bit of a challenge, but I, you know, at the end of the day, I still way prefer the foreign language. For sure. Well, I guess <laughs> with with uh, without uh, enabling us to get even more off track, we'll just swing it around to say, hey. Watch Satan mm-hmm. Slaves. You probably, well, if you're listening to this, you're probably a subscriber to Shudder. And like Mr. Venomarty mentioned, there's both versions. So if you if you are that adverse to reading subtitles, the English dub is available. So you really have no excuse not to watch it either way. 
There you go. <laughs> so uh, thanks for listening. Uh, should we list where, where they can hear us again? No More Room in Hell, Theme Warriors, Fresh Cuts. And what am I missing? I know I'm missing one. Rad Radio. Rad Radio. Uh, yeah. So check all those out if you haven't already. And find us on the group page for all those. Pretty much that's the name of all of them. And have a fantastic Halloween. If you're listening to this, it is likely actually the day of Halloween or the night, depending on when you like to listen to podcasts the most. But have a great <laughs> Halloween, and we will catch you soon. Yes, be safe and check your candy, folks. And thank you very much, Jason, for having us on again. Thank you, sirs, for that awesome review. I'm assuming y'all liked it. <laughs> I haven't, uh, like I said, I didn't get to hear the uh, review itself, but I, I actually love this movie. It's uh, pretty high up on my end of the year list. Hopefully, y'all enjoyed it as much as I did. So now it's time to move on to the next set of reviews, and it is uh, Nudie and Suzanne from the No Fucking Way Movie Commentary Podcast. They're going to be reviewing uh, two films in a row. I'm not sure which order they're doing them in. But they got uh, Apartment 212, which is available on Amazon Prime, and a brand new release uh, for Sh- from Shudder, a film called Terrified. Take it away. Hello, everybody. This is Nudie and Suzanne from the NFW Podcast. Tonight we're doing a special review of two movies for the Bloody Bits Podcast. We will be doing two movies from 2017. One is called Apartment 212, and the other one is called Terrified. A.K.A. Atorados. Atorados. <laughs> it's a, I guess, an Argentinian film. So, anyway, say hi, Suzanne. Greetings. All right, we're gonna start with Apartment Two Twelve. Jennifer Conrad is a small-town girl starting over in the big city. She's fleeing an abusive relationship. All she wants is a chance to begin again. But it's hard to start over when something is eating you while you sleep. One painful bite at a time. <laughs> this movie stars, uh, what's her name? <laughs> Penelope Mitchell, who I never heard of. I guess she's been in a few things, but not really a lot. It also stars Sally, Sally Kirkland. Well, when I saw her on screen, I was scared because she really changed a lot. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, she did. <laughs> it was Sally amazing. Kirkland. Yeah, she looks like she ate old Sally Kirkland. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Like, if I had not known that she was in this movie, I would not have known that that was her. It's pretty amazing. There's a a guy in the movie. Uh, his name, his real name is Han Soto. <laughs> Every time I saw that come <laughs> I, up on the screen. I am like, dude, really? I was thinking Han Solo the whole time, but yeah, be so basically the movie starts off. It shows this young girl driving down the road with all her shit packed up behind a, an old jalopy, and she's tr- pulling a trailer with her stuff, and she rents this cheap ass apartment. I'm gathering, and 
she uh, meets the landlord and then uh, who is Sally Kirkland and the neighbor guy who fixes shit and he befriends her. He's just, at first I thought he was going to be a creepy old man, but he turned out to be all right. And things are going all right for her. She meets up, she sees a friend, She the friend offers her an interview for a job. And, um, but then she starts hearing these weird noises at night, crying through the vents and her neighbor just keeps crying and crying and crying and she won't leave her alone. She won't stop crying and she, she can't sleep. And So it starts to get to her. So she starts to like try to go find this neighbor and try to find out what's going on. And as she's knocking on the woman's door, the woman, well, I don't know. Do we want to spoil all this? Like, I don't know how to, how to do a good review of this without spoiling stuff. Uh, I just, it's just <laughs> the basics. Uh, a weird chick in the apartment. She keeps hearing through the vent. Yeah, so um, stuff stuff happens, and yeah. like it, all of a sudden, her life starts turning upside down. She wakes up in the middle of the night with these red marks on her body, and as the nights go on, more and more red marks start showing up, and you're trying to figure out what's going on. It's not really giving you many clues as to what's going on, but there's some. For, for me, I I thought it was pretty good. There's some scenes there where you're really wondering, like, what the hell, and. She, you know, she goes to she goes to a job interview and she just looks like a crack whore strung out and all these marks all over her and everybody thinks she's a drug addict when she's not. There's just some kind of sh- weird shit going on. And I mean, you guys know by the cover and the and stuff that there it's a creature feature. So you know, you kind of figure out what's going on towards the end. They show you. At, and I thought the last the last half hour was pretty decent. The stuff that was going on in the film between her and the creature and and you know the subplot of her and her her abusive ex-boyfriend who happens to be a cop of all things so uh, to me it gets a 5.2 on imdb i i really i'm not gonna say it's like in my top 10 list for 2018 but i i kind of enjoyed it um i thought the girl did a really good job from being just a normal normal you know girl to to then when the shit happened to her i thought she really you know, she dressed down really well. You know, if 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 you know what I'm trying to say, like she was a a pretty, you know, just a pretty country country type girl. And then all of a sudden, when this thing started happening, she just she really like she, she started looking real rough and strung out. Yeah, and she she pulled it off well. Like, and I know it's all done by makeup and shit, but I mean, she acted well enough for me that I I, I bought it. So I'm gonna probably give this movie a I think a seven. I did I did enjoy it. I thought it was pretty damn good and. And uh, you know, if it was a short one, like a ninety-minute movie, it ran, it went through pretty quick for me, and I had really no gripes with it. It's a good for, it's good for me for a one-time watch. Now I know you're gonna say a few things that <laughs> talk the opposite of what I thought, so go ahead. I mean, it's I agree with you. It's not a horrible movie. It's just there are a few things that took me out of it. I did not care for the musical choices when they were trying. When she was first not being able to sleep, and they had like this happy music, like that makes no sense whatsoever. And I just, I really didn't care for a lot of the musical choices for this movie, and that automatically kind of took me out of it a little bit because you know I'm sitting here watching this in the dark. I want to be scared. I don't want to hear some happy upbeat tune. <laughs> and the other thing that bugged me, and this is the one. I mean, I probably, I probably could have gotten past that. But when she went to the job interview and she was just looking rough as hell. <laughs> right. But when she she goes to her 
ex-husband and wants to move back in, she managed to get five pounds of acophone? Does that make any sense whatsoever? Well, you to, to be fair, she was running late for the, the interview. <laughs> but at that point... But, I mean, that's still beside the point. You know, you, 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 you put in a little extra effort for a job interview. And, you know, I mean, you, you can. She just... It, it just... For me, the whole scene just didn't fit or didn't work for me. I know I'm being nitpicky as hell. Well, at that point, yeah. I wouldn't even went to the interview. If if I had that kind of stuff going on all over me, everybody around you starts is thinking you're a, you're a drug addict now. I would yeah. I myself wouldn't even went to the interview. I would have maybe tried to call my friend and say, "Hey, you know, I'm sick or something. Can we reschedule until you know whatever happens happens?" But <laughs> yeah. I just, like I said, that was just one of the things I just did not care for in the movie, and it just seemed out of place. I, On the I, other hand, the actors, point. yeah, the actors were fantastic. And you forget it. Kyle Gass is in this, and if anybody remembers, he's the other half of Tenacious D. Oh, so that was the old, the old caretaker guy. Yeah. I thought I, I thought he was familiar, but I wasn't sure. Yeah. Yeah, you actually but, got, you actually cared for him. He was actually a pretty good character. Oh, I know. I was upset. During a certain scene. Yeah, he was a pretty good character. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I love the monster. I have to admit, it reminded me a little bit of, just a little bit of the monster in the closet in the episode of Tales from the Dark Side. Yeah, it was cool. Like, and like, it, I mean, she found that book, I guess, you know, that told her how to take care of things. And I, I yeah, it was a cool little battle between the two, I thought, that while it lasted. Yeah, I thought it. I honestly thought it went on just a little too long. I actually wanted but... more. <laughs> I enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed that part of the movie a lot. But yeah, it's not. It's not a bad little monster movie. I just, like I said, there are just a few things in the movie that really took me out of it. I'd probably watch but... it again at some point. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's. I've seen it. I can make a check mark on my list. But I'm probably going to give it maybe a five because the acting was fantastic and I love the, the little monster. The yes. monster was my favorite character in the entire movie. So you're right in line with the IMDb people. Yeah, I kind of am. All right. Well, that's Apartment 212. And next up will be Atorados, a.k.a. Terrified. So this one is yours. So give up the, the synopsis. All right. Your cheapo plot synopsis is... When strange events occur in a neighborhood in Buenos Aires, a doctor specializing in the paranormal, her colleague, and an ex-police officer decide to investigate further. Holy shit, was this an amazingly scary movie. I can't even begin to tell you how many times this movie scared the absolute Jesus out of me. And I don't scare easily. Um, it just starts off like these, this couple, and I, I don't know, they were like attached houses. They weren't really condos, they weren't really apartments, but it was just like this one long line, like row houses. And they just keep hearing stuff going on in the other apartments. And this, you start realizing this guy next door, as they kind of flip backwards, because it's kind of told in a... It's almost like a Tarantino movie, the way that they start the movie, because everything is in just completely out-of-whack sequences. 
So you really have no idea what the hell is going on. Yeah, it does jump around quite a bit. Yeah, like I said, it was kind of funny. There are certain parts I'm like, okay, when is this actually happening? That's my only problem because there were a few places where you really weren't sure if it was past or present. Um, the creature work was downright terrifying. The 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 the, the makeup effects were stellar. And I'm just not familiar with the cast because, you know, it's basically Argentinian, South American. <laughs> yeah. But whoever they are, they I think everybody did a banging job on this. They did, yeah, they did uh they did seem like they were professional actors, so they're probably big movie stars in Argentina or whatever because they were all they were all really good and spot on. Yeah. Again, this is a subtitled movie, and I'm not a big fan of watching subtitled movies, but I gotta say, this is the second one I've done so far for Bloody Bits, and both of them have been really good movies, so cheer, cheers on that. Because I was really impressed with, I mean, I'm, I'm, I get bored with the, the you know, the Blumhouse line of jump scare effects, and this one just it's like you you kind of knew things were coming but you were still kind of shocked and jumping at the same time because it was just it wasn't done and seriously and not with any humor yeah it had a good story to it too like it was basically basically four houses on the street were being haunted or whatever it was by whatever was going on and so you, like she said, you start with the first, the guy next door, and the guy, you know, the two guys next door to each other, and what happens with them, and then apparently stuff happens across the street. So it's like almost three or four houses, and the, the there's a scene uh, where a child dies, and the, to, to spoil a little bit, because you know it's hard to talk about this movie and not give away a few things, but yeah, his body shows up back at the mom's house, and it's very creepy and. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, it's great, great effects. I mean, they're, the, the kid looked, you know, really, really scary and creepy looking. And, and a lot, you know, things that happen in the movie, like there's a few things that the, mon- like she said, the monster work or whatever, the ghost work is really, really, really good. It's scary. It's, I mean, I didn't jump or anything, but I was, you know, feeling a little tense watching it, trying to, wait, what's going to happen now? And, you know, I think they always throw in a couple of good scares in these movies that, you know, you kind of see coming, but it still gets you. Yeah, this one, I, they did, like I said, from beginning to end, I was incredibly tense. I was watching this with one of my cats on my lap, and there was one scene, my cat jumped before I did. <laughs> but yeah, this one, I just, I, I cannot recommend this enough. This will end up somewhere in my collection, because when I really want to scare the fuck out of my friends... That's going to be one of the movies we watch. Yeah, it says uh, on IMDb that it came out in 2017, but it says May 3rd of 18 in Argentina. So I guess this movie would qualify as one of our top 10 of the year if we decide to add it to it or not. Oh, this is definitely in my top 10, hands down, no questions asked. So IMDb gives it a 6.7. I'm going to figure you're going to go a lot higher than that. Yeah, I'm definitely, it probably, I'm going, I've, I've, I gotta go nine and a half because it wow. did have some flaws. But this, I, I was so 
completely impressed with this movie and how scared it made me feel. And I was watching this, you know, all the lights off after midnight with my cat. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a high score. I can't go that high. I mean, <clears throat> I did enjoy it, but, you know, nine and a half, that's, that's almost perfection. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to probably give it an eight. I mean, I think, uh, you know, this is a movie that everybody, if you listen to this show, you should check this movie out. I know a lot of you or some of you are going to be like, oh, this movie's bullshit, whatever. But it's a pretty damn good movie, and I think it's a good time, and everybody should check this out. And again, it's only an hour and a half, as long as you don't mind reading subtitles, because that's it through the whole movie. Unless you can understand Spanish, then, you know, you might be okay with that. But, yeah, it's it's good. So we both agree this is probably the best of the two we did. Oh, definitely. And there's a few points I have to admit. This is probably where my... I probably should drop it down a little bit, but fuck it, I'm not. There were a few times that the subtitles were going by so fast. Yeah. I had to hit the pause button a few times. I'm like, wait, what? So, yeah, they could have slowed down the tempo of the subtitles. But, I mean, for the most part, the visuals told a lot of the story. It's like the complexities you're reading in the subtitles. Yep, it was good. So, that's good. I'm glad we had two good movies in this time so yeah Jason said we were going to have all good movies so so far so good alright yeah. <clears throat> you guys one know where word. Oh, okay. yeah. I was going to say so I was gonna one final word on this movie I'm really glad I have a pedestal bed so I don't have to worry about monsters under the bed <laughs> yeah I kept a, I kept I'm surprised they didn't do a little more with that to to get a good jump scare out of that because they could have and they they yeah, played they I, played it well, but they could have they could have done a little more with that if they really wanted to. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad they kinda, didn't. Yeah, because at that point you're just you're going for cheap thrills, and that's not what this movie. Yeah, about. they they avoided the cliche, which was pretty good. Which I was expecting the cliche, and it didn't <laughs> happen, so that was good. All right, everybody knows how to contact us, so you know just give us a quick shout out at NFW Podcast, and Suzanne does her fly 101 on the twitters and the facebooks and all that good shit and <laughs> you guys if you really you, want to find me i'm not that hard to find yeah you, you guys know by now if you listen to horophilia or this show and you probably have listened to nfw at least once so give us a contact and listen to our show and all that good stuff anyway check out these two movies we know you're gonna like them and well maybe you won't like apartment 212 as suzanne didn't like it that much but i think it's worth the watch all right until we meet again later peeps later all right thank you guy and gal for that uh review and i hope you all enjoyed those films both of those films are fairly high up on my list i'll be honest i like apartment 212 more than terrified uh i just felt that terrified uh ended too abruptly and needed a little bit more of a story but it definitely had some creepy moments here so i definitely recommend uh, checking it out myself Alright, so before we get on to the next review, we're going to take a little musical break. And this is a song from the Halloween 2018 soundtrack from Mr. John Carpenter. And it is a song called Rod Iron Gate.
All right, I hope you enjoyed that little musical ditty. Now it's time to move on to Mr. Philip Perrin from the Dark Discussions podcast review. And he's going to be reviewing a film, I think it's called Anon. Uh, I think he said it had a sci-fi twist to it. I'm not sure if it's sci-fi mystery horror or whatever. I have no idea, to be honest with you here. But apparently it's a brand new movie that just uh, released on Netflix. So we'll go ahead and hear uh, Phil's review on it. Take it away, Phil. Hello, this is Philip from the Dark Discussions Podcast, www.darkdiscussions.com, or wherever podcasts are found, such as Stitcher, iTunes, or Google Play. I am here on the Halloween episode of Bloody Bits on the behalf of Jason Lloyd to review a streaming film, which can be found on Netflix in this case. Uh, this film is free, assuming you have a subscription to Netflix. It is called Anon, A-N-O-N, and was released in May of 2018. Uh, so a fairly new film, which has somewhat gone under the radar, which is surprising based off the cast and the director. Uh, the director is Andrew Nicole, who is probably best known for the science fiction thriller Gattaca, but uh, he's also uh, known for an Academy Award nomination for writing The Truman Show. Uh, this film here stars Clive Owen and Amanda Seyfried, uh, so a fairly uh, big cast with a fairly uh, well-known director. Um, uh, this film is actually, unlike uh, most of the films on this episode of Bloody Bits, not a horror film. It's actually a techno-thriller or cyberpunk film. Um, and let me give you a quick synopsis of the film, and this is straight off of Wikipedia. In a modern world where advanced biosyn implants mean everyone is subjected to a relentless visual stream of information they call the mind's eye, privacy and anonymity as we know them have vanished. With everyone's personal information on public display and each person's life recorded down to the millisecond, Personal information is downloaded to a vast grid called the Ether, a database which law enforcement can access and use to prosecute criminals. Sal Fryland is faced with a series of shocking murders, being a police officer, which appear to be linked. The police themselves are unable to identify the killers. It soon becomes apparent that what the murders have in common signals a major breakthrough in the system on which society has come to rely. As he delves into the case, Fryland encounters a woman who seems to have no identity. Something he initially assumes is a minor glitch becomes the first clue that security of the mind's eye has become compromised, sending Fryland into a mission where he acts as bait to trap someone that essentially does not exist to the ether. So that's pretty much the synopsis of the film. Uh, basically, Sal is played by Clive Owen is the police officer. He happens to um, work a case that suddenly these folks are being killed off. Uh, but as stated, anybody and everybody, uh, whatever they view is recorded. So the murders are all recorded. However, the thing that's unique about these murders is that someone is able to hack into your eye, meaning what you see, make you go blind and replace what you see with someone or something else. And in this case, what is their sight is being replaced with is the view of the killer. So these folks who are being killed, they are watching themselves being stalked and killed by their killer. So Sal has to uh, go into what is the dark web, and try to hire someone who may be able to have the ability to 
um, hack into this ether or the mind's eye. And this is where our story begins. Uh, so, uh, as he's, uh, doing this, uh, basically they have to set up, uh, a scam where Sal does something. Uh, basically he hires an escort. He pretends he's a wealthy businessman. Uh, the encounter is recorded because, again, everything is part of the mind's eye. And as a result, he then goes to the dark web to pretend that he needs this basically uh, deleted from the ether because he doesn't want his uh, wife to know that he had an affair or a one-night stand or whatever you want to call it. Of course, this is all pretend because uh, he is unmarried and he's pretending he's this wealthy businessman that's married. Uh, eventually, they get hits on the dark web. Uh, someone named Anon, which basically you can gather is short for anonymous, uh, contacts him. And so the beginning of the case or, or the investigation occurs. Uh, so uh, is this film of uh, interest? Uh, I would say yes. I mean, this, that sounds like a pretty interesting uh, concept, I would say, right? If you're a fan of cyberpunk or techno throws, it's definitely something you may want to check out. I am a huge fan of techno thrillers, even more so than cyberpunk or horror. And even though this is a sci-fi techno thriller, cyberpunk combo, uh, it has a lot of techno thriller elements. So if you're a fan of like Michael Crichton or whatnot, this is a, this is a great film, I think. Um, the film actually has gotten mixed reviews, oddly. Um, but my guess is that the idea of the ether in the mind's eye is such a lofty subject that in an hour and a half to two hours in a film to try to cram all that in may have turned off some people who review this film, or such as critics and so forth. Uh, but honestly, I think they did quite well in that time frame. Uh, I have read many techno throwers with this idea, and obviously in book format, you can get a lot more involved. But for a film, this actually, I think, grabs all the right beats at the right time and uh, presents it quite well. Especially when, when you think of this, this film is very much a mystery and a thriller, a thr like a throwback to like film noir days, but in a modern error because there is a femme fatale and uh, there's a lot of, um, I guess, sexual tension between the the protagonist and, and antagonist. Uh, so there's a lot of cat and mouse, things that you would see in a thriller or mystery from bygone days. Um, and though this film is a science fiction film in a sense, um, it really is, if you just boil away everything, uh, a thriller, a, a straight thriller, you know, the, the femme fatale and uh, the investigator or the private eye type thing. Um, so I think that makes the film feel a little more standard than unique, but by taking the standard 
type of story plot and placing it in a futuristic way with the ether and the mind's eye and things of that nature makes it very unique. Uh, so taking a non-unique story and turning it unique, uh, even if boiled away, it seems fairly standard. Um, I, I would say that it's definitely worth checking out. First of all, it's free if you have a subscription to Netflix. Second of all, it has a pretty damn good cast because uh, Amanda Seyfried is, is awesome. I've, I've loved pretty much everything that she's done, even the films that she um, has been in that haven't been critically acclaimed. Uh, she's always been great anyway. Uh, and Clive Owen is always uh, excellent as well. Uh, and again, same thing, uh, any film that he's been in that has been panned, uh, it's usually not because of him, it's usually because of the screenplay. So, you, when you have two really good actors, uh, uh, in, in a film like this, um, you're gonna get solid performances anyway. So it really comes down to, is the story worth, uh, worth it, worth their performance? And I think so. Um, especially if you're a fan of sci-fi, tech death thrillers, cyberpunk, that type of thing. And if you love film noirs, this film really will hit it as well. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I highly recommend to me, um, for, for dark discussions, I will probably put this on one of my, uh, top lists, you know, top sci-fi thriller lists that we, we present at the end of the year because it, it definitely hits a lot of my buttons of what I like in, in my genre cinema. Uh, so it won't be for everybody, however, but uh, I think most people will like it. So, uh, yeah, check it out. Uh, again, the film's called Anon, A-N-O-N, uh, starring uh, Amanda Seyfried and Clive Owen, um, directed by uh, the well-known director Andrew Nicole. Uh, with that stated, once again, I'm Phil from Dark Discussions Podcast, where you can find us at www.darkdiscussions.com, a weekly podcast available everywhere that podcasts are found. Back to you, Jason Lloyd. Thank you, sir. Thank you for the review. I hope the uh, film lived up to your expectations. Uh, I'll know once I hear your review, but uh, thank you once again, and make sure you check out his podcast, one of the greatest uh, non-horophilia network podcasts out there, and that is Dark Discussions. All right, now, before we uh, move on to the next review, it is time to listen to Case 2, Kristen Stewart. She's going to explain the origins of Halloween to us. Take it away, Case 2. Boom. Just kidding, it's me, Case 2. Uh, happy Halloween. Halloween used to be called All Hallows' Eve, which is Latin for ancient festival where sexy nurses honor the dead. People also like to hollow out pumpkins, which is why it's called All Hallows' Eve, because that's the evening when your pumpkins are all hollow. And there's this thing called Sleepy Hollow, too. Halloween is sometimes referred to as All Saints Day, and that's why everyone dresses up as all saints. All saints, not just the Jesus-y ones. We honor the saint of slutty animals, the saint of Edward Scissorhands, the saint of Mario Brothers, the saint of topical jokes, the New Orleans saints. There are a lot of saints in New Orleans. That's why it's like always Halloween there. <laughs> we also honor the saint of flaming dog poo, but we don't honor St. Patrick. Which is weird because he would love Halloween. I mean, he's always drunk and he loves snakes. He gets his own holiday in March. 
Okay, I'll Wikipedia that and explain it in March. If you're a saint and you die, then you get to eat candy and be drunk all the time because you were such a saint. And that's why we do those things on Halloween. It's like religious. Another Halloween traditional is the spooky episode of every sitcom. This ritual dates back to the very first sitcoms, which are from the 18th century. This woman is a witch! Burn her! <laughs> Another traditional is people dressing up like vampires. I find that really offensive because my boyfriend is a vampire. That's like a race of people. I mean, I wouldn't just dress up like a Mexico person and be like, I'm Mexican, boo, scary. Have some sensitivity, vampires are people too. For the last time, I'm not a bloody vampire. He has to deny it so that the Volturi don't come after him. I'm denying it because there's no such thing as a vampire, you nitwit. Right. I can't believe I'm back in this shite relationship. <laughs> Halloween is also the day that Michael Myers killed his family. Yeah, baby! Yeah! And then he killed comedy. <laughs> yeah, baby! Yeah! So like every year in New York, there's a big parade that's hosted by Frankenstein, the Pumpkin King, and the Drag Queens. And everybody gathers and sings Halloween carols like The Munster Mash, Thriller, and I Will Survive. Halloween is also a time when unattractive people get to hook up. They wear costumes and like, it makes everything okay because when you're wearing a costume, it's like not you anymore. I was wearing a costume when I was in that movie Snow White and the Thor, which is one of the reasons why I cheated on our paths. Click here for all the other reasons. Uh, happy Halloween. Trick or treat. Let us pray. Together. Man, I miss Case Do. I wish she was in uh, more movies. <laughs> All right, now moving on to the next review. It is by J.P. Shot from the 22 Shots of Mood and Moods of Horror and the Netflix and Chill. He is going to be reviewing a film I highly like. It's on Netflix. It's called Hold the Dark. And it is by uh, Jeremy Saunier. He's a guy who directed Murder Party. Uh, I'm sure JP's going to get into it, but he uh, did uh, Green Room and Blue Ruin. I'm a huge fan of the his. Uh, I'm a huge fan of this movie. I, at first, when I saw it, I said, nah, it's not really a horror movie, but I've gone back and forth on it. I think there's enough dark elements where I can classify it as horror. Whatever it is, it's a kick-ass movie, in my opinion. So let's see what uh, JP's thoughts are. Yo, yo, what's up, guys? It's Netflix and Chill here to bring you guys a special exclusive review for the Bloody Bits Halloween special. And joining me, as always, is Carly, host of Netflix and Chill Horror Podcast, as well as your residential guest host in the Horrorphilia Network. What's going on? Not too much. What's going on with you? Well, you know, we don't have time to record our own episodes, but we have time to throw one together for Mr. Jason Lloyd, our fearless leader. That is true. That is true. Yeah. And I am quite the quite good at guesting, so might as well add this to the list, I guess. Yeah, you're like the podcasting town whore. Basically, yeah. <laughs> I had a good analogy for myself the other day, but I for oh, I'm like a substitute teacher, kind of. Yeah, substitute podcast host. Yeah. Your podcast host out sick? Call Carly. Yeah, I'm right here. All right, so we don't want to 
get too into the shenanigans because uh from what i understand this is a you know shorter review because if everybody who's participating put out an hour review it would be like 14 hours long so uh mm-hmm. we'll keep this pretty short but i just want to wish everybody a happy halloween and it's sad that october is over but you know we we celebrate horror all year long i do get the sometimes i get the post-october blues but sometimes i'm just relieved that like that busyness is over because i'm always super busy on october (laughs) especially like i feel like for once for the first time in a long time i actually made the best of my October and had something going on almost like several days out of the week. I had something spooky going on. So I'll probably still be a little depressed, but I also feel like I won't dwell on it as much this year when November rolls around. We hit the ground running. We went to uh, a ton of screenings. We uh, had our Halloween party. Um, we had a Halloween work party. We uh, watched a movie like every day. <laughs> we sometimes multiple. Um, <laughs> we carved pumpkins. Uh, we I went, even I even went to a spook house just tonight, and I didn't think I was going to actually do that this yeah, year. Yeah, see, so. I, I'm a little bummed I didn't do that. Next year, I'm actually going to plan ahead, like everything that I want to do. And I'm yeah. going to make sure that I try to get to everything because I, I, I mean, but I, you are right. I, I definitely like last October. I felt like man, I could have did a little bit more during October, but this one, the last couple actually, this one I actually feel completely satisfied. So that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Uh, but anyway, so uh, the film that we're going to be reviewing this Halloween night is actually not really a horror film, which is kind of weird. (laughs) (laughs) It is Hold the Dark from the 2018 year. Uh, It is a Netflix uh, original or exclusive, and it is directed by Jeremy Solnier. Yes. Is that how you pronounce it? Sure. Sounds legit to me. Do you know? No, I don't. Dude, what the hell? Oh, uh, how I don't look up pronunciations of things. Hold on, let me let me just look at the name real quick. I mean, Saul. It looks like Saul near. It's like Saul from Better Call Saul, and then near. So I would go with that. All right, Jamie Saul near, who I am very familiar with. Are you? I don't know. Okay, so he got his start in 2007's Murder Party, which actually is a Halloween-themed horror film. I watched that. We both just actually watched that together this year. So that was his first film. Uh, His second film was 2013's Blue Ruin, which is a film that almost made my top 10 of 2013. I I think it was 14 by the time we seen it. But... I bumped it off because it really wasn't a horror film. It was more of a revenge thriller. Uh, but really good stuff. And then your next film from him is Green Room, which came out in 2015 and did make my 2015 uh, or 16 top 10 of uh, the year. It, it, I think it was like number five or so, uh, which I absolutely loved, starring Yel- Anton Yelchin. Rest in peace. 
Really, really good movie. Have you seen either of those two? No. I, I mean, it looks like I have only seen Murder Party by this dude, so... Okay, well, Murder Party is completely different from anything he's ever done. The other two, Blue Ruin and Green Room, are more along the lines of Hold the Dark. Um, but Hold the Dark was written by... not not Jeremy. It was written by um, Macon Blair, uh, who wrote films. He's also an actor, actually. And he, he's actually in this film as Shane. Shane, Shane. Um, but mm-hmm. he, he wrote... Um, he wrote a film I actually seen called The Monkey's Paul for the Chiller Network. It wasn't very good. Um, and then it was all this. The story was written by William Giraldi, who uh, I assume is a writer. So this is probably based on an actual novel. Yeah. Uh, but it essentially follows a town in Alaska uh, where a writer has been called in by this woman who her daughter or son rather has been missing uh and she believes he was taken by wolves she calls this guy in to hunt the wolves so that she at least feels better about it and basically turns out that maybe what she's telling him isn't 100 percent true uh and then the boy's father returns from iraq or Afghanistan and goes on sort of a rampage because he's mad that his son died. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, that's basically it. So without giving too much away. So this this movie's really kind of weird to me. Um I do think that it's a very well made movie. Mm-hmm. It's shot really well, there's good music. Um it's very like I think that they capture the, you know, Alaskan isolation well. Um, people seem to talk in, in whispers almost, uh, which just adds to this, like, somber feeling of the movie. Yeah, it's very um, depressing. It made me never want to go to Alaska. and See, it made me any... want to go to Alaska. Uh, maybe because it's just it, a simple like... life. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just feel like these people are all like, oh, well, the sun comes up at 10 a.m. and goes back down at 12 p.m. type of deal. I don't know. It just seems See, I would love very that. gloomy. I, They're all if it was, and, If uh, it was winter, well, not winter, but if it was, if, if, if it had Alaska-type winter or whatever where the sun goes down at like, like 2 p.m. and comes back up at like 10 a.m., I would love that. <laughs> No, I don't know. I hate being cold. I hate the darkness. I mean, I don't Dude, hate the darkness. I, I just I don't even hate, know how we're um, friends. I just corrected myself, so I don't know why you're getting mad at me. I don't know um, how anyway. we're friends. I like the dark, like the late night, but like it's special when it's late at night. I don't want it to just be dark all the time because then I'll be freaking depressed. I need to see Mr. So, Sun so and I need like, to be hot. So you're like, you know what? Nature, hold the dark. I'm good. Dude. <laughs> I'm just going to leave. I think Why? there's nothing was, much. There's just nothing punch. much. I have nothing else to say after that one. So, um, I don't know. That was dude. A, that I, I was love a the dark. Joke. See, you know, what's weird. I, when I'm inside, I like all the lights on, but I like when it's dark outside. <laughs> I do like the dark. I just not all the time. So, yeah, but well, anyway, I mean, they did do a good job with capturing that feeling. And I feel like, 
all these wintry movies make me feel cold. Like I just want to bundle up while I'm watching them. And they also, it seems like movies set in this setting are always kind of slow burns as well. Mm-hmm. Like this reminds me of something like Black Coat's Daughter or Let the Right One In and stuff like that. But just with the general vibe. Yeah, I mean, I I don't really feel that too much, but I get what you're saying. I like one scene in this film (laughs) a lot, and it's a scene where it's actually, like, not horror at all, but um, a character basically opens fire on a police squad. Yeah. That was really well done. Yeah, um... I don't know, you keep saying it's not horror at all. First of all, IMDb does classify it as horror. Really? And second, nice. Yeah, it actually does. And second of all, I don't know, I just felt like um, there's elements of horror to it, especially with kind of what's supposed to be going on. I feel like it was trying to be kind of a horror movie, but it doesn't feel... Like, I'm not giving away what goes on in the film, like... The, th- the stuff with, like, the wolves and whatnot. Mm. And, like, the character... Like, there's just some weird shit going on with the characters and the wolves, isn't there? Unless I'm reading into that wrong. Well, I think it's kind of like... Um... You know, what's that word? Ambiguous? I guess. I don't know. It was just... It seemed like they were trying to do something possessive. Yeah. Yeah. You know what was kind of weird? What? Um, the 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 soldier when he's in Iraq, where he, that the the lead character kills that rapist. Uh huh. Didn't that just seem kind of weird? Um, no, I don't know. I kind of no. like that part. You didn't find it weird, though? Like, what do you mean? Because... Like, like, he just... Like, what did that have to do with the movie? I think it was just shit. Like, there's a part where he's with his son that you see in a flashback, and his son brings up, oh, you kill people, and he's like, sometimes you have to kill people. It's kind of... I felt like it was kind of showing that he kills people when it's totally necessary and to him in that moment he was just trying to do something question good the, when but, he kills the two police officers what was necessary about that i not nothing i didn't really like that part i think that was just him snapping i mean i actually that actually like that made me really sad i was like well that one and then one dude's like no don't wait i, I yeah i like when he says See, I like that. It seems more realistic than like, like pulling out a gun and being like, "Pow!" You know, like, I, yeah, I could totally see somebody be like, "No, wait!" and then just gone. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I, I like. I, I think this guy has a good. This is what I like about this guy, uh, this director, and you'll see it in Green Room and Blue Ruin. He has a very realistic approach to violence. Like, instead of somebody getting shot, like, in the middle of the forehead, like, the side of their face gets shot off or something, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he has, like, a very... Like, if you've seen Green Room, 
the way that he handles somebody getting uh, attacked with a machete is like so realistic looking. It's disturbing. Mm-hmm. It's not like Jason where you like just slash somebody in half. It's like you hit their arm and it like s- splits and is gross. You know? <laughs> it's just disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, so, I thought that was cool. I felt like the whole movie was very realistic with its characters' reactions and things like that. Like, the part with the shooting, you have a younger dude who clearly does not want to be dead, and it's just very, they're really good at capturing emotion throughout this movie, I felt. Well, I have something really sorry to tell that guy in the next five minutes. <laughs> he doesn't want to be dead because, yikes. Um, but no, seriously, uh, the movie itself is good. It's a good movie. It's not my, it's actually my least favorite of his though, I'd say. Mm. Um, I don't know. I just was expecting something more. Like I wanted more. It just like, I do agree that this guy is great at telling a story in a way where you can't, it's not predictable at all. Like, yeah, you have no idea what's going to happen scene from scene. You're just like, what? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you're just, you have no clue where the story's going at all. Yeah, the beginning is totally different from what the rest of the movie turns out to be. Going into it, you know, I thought it was going to be something about killer wolves and the freaking snow or something. Yeah, it's not like for the horror element, at least, but it kind of turns into this sort of slow burn drama thriller of sorts. Yeah, I think I just wanted more out of the story in general. It's like I wanted more of like I don't know, like it's just I don't I don't know why like like I just don't know why I don't know. It's just, I just wanted something different, I think. I, I I was fine with it, but just based on his past work and stuff, I was just wanted something else, I think. So, I didn't love it. I do think it's good, and I was I was fine with it. I just I was really hype. I was really anticipating this movie when I found out found out it was coming to Netflix, because I I'm a fan of this guy's work. Yeah, I don't know. I act, like I thought it was pretty solid. I think the only issue that I would say is it's a little it's a long movie. It's over two hours, and it kind of gets a little slow towards the end. But yeah. I do want to know what's going on. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, can we get to the points and then at the end i just i feel like i was almost a little confused on what even happened in this movie like yeah, i think i am too um, i like that's what i'm saying about the horror element though that's i i thought it had some i don't know i don't know what the right word would be supernatural doesn't sound right but but then again it might just it, be i think it's more thing. i think it's more like um mythical yeah yeah I could see that. Like, folklore-ish. Mm. But what, what was up with the scene with the girl and the black guy? I don't... You mean, at the, like, right at the beginning, in the at nighttime, yeah. when he's in bed? I don't really know. I, it definitely ties in to what's going on at the end, which I still don't know. I think it's kind of... I think I need to rewatch the end. I can't... I watched this film almost like a week ago at this point, and I, I can't remember. Uh, this is the problem with me watching so many movies lately. <laughs> it's just, dude, I... I mean, between 1982 podcast and Halloween reviews, like, I've watched, like, 60 movies or something this month, and I'm just burnt out, you know what I mean? So it's kind of a... 
I kind of forget what even happened at the end, but um, I think like I think there's something to do with these masks. Okay. Ultimately, like there's wolf masks that they're putting on, and then it kind of is altering their personalities and making them do some weird shit. I like that's kind of what I was getting out of it, mm-hmm. and I, that's the best I can really way I can put it. And yeah, if you do watch the ending, there's a scene that makes me believe that. Oh, um, okay. Not like the very last scene or anything like that. It's like right towards the climax. But yeah, I would. You'd probably definitely have to go back and rewatch it. But overall, I yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe go back and rewatch the scene on Netflix. But um, it's a good yeah, movie. Watching on Netflix. It's, it's a good movie, you know. But yeah, it's a good movie. I thought it was actually good. Honestly, like I could tell, you kind of wanted it to be something else maybe and i could definitely see that it's not overly horrifying it's definitely not it's very light on the horror elements like i said it's more of a slow burn drama but i kind of enjoyed it i was afraid i was going to get very bored by it because i'm really bad with watching long movies especially if they're slow like this but i actually thought it was pretty solid and had some emotional moments throughout it yeah all right well with that said, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed our brief little review of Hold the Dark. If you don't know who we are, um, well, should we rate this? I don't know. Do they? I don't know if they. Yeah. We'll just does it matter it. if you rate on here? I don't know. It's just it's us. <laughs> um, okay. Let's go and do the ratings, I guess. Okay. 8.5 out of 10. All right. I came in at a 7.5 out of 10. Um, I like his other two. two worth. I, I think I give Murder Party a 7.5 as well, but I enjoyed that one a lot more. Um, but his other two films, fan-freaking-tastic. I think I'm at 8.5s and 9s on those. You should definitely check them out if you haven't seen them, Carly, because uh, they are like this, but better. <laughs> it, it has like... It's the, the, wait, it, once, once the green room, correct? Yeah. Is that what you said? Yeah, I I mean I own that on Blu-ray, I just haven't gone around to it. Yeah, yet. definitely definitely watch it. It's really good. And it captures like some great vibes and stuff like that with like the punk rockers setting and stuff. But yeah. anyway, uh this is Netflix and Chill Horror Podcast and uh you can check out new episodes of us probably within the next month or so. Um, and you could go back and listen to some of the older ones. Uh, I also have another podcast, 22 shots, obviously. So check that out. Uh, our, our exploding heads episode should be posting this Wednesday when this airs on Halloween. So that's, um, the, the awesome 1982 show. So that's one of our better shows in a long time. So check that out. And, uh, any final words? I got nothing. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks to Mr. Jason Lloyd for inviting us to do this. Yeah. Um, Keep up the good work, homie. All right. Peace. Peace. All right. Now that I'm actually editing the podcast, I can see it was a joint effort by JP and Carly. (laughs) I had no idea that uh, it was going to be the Netflix and chill uh, combo here. But uh, thank you, JP and Carly, for that awesome review. And I hope you uh, consider participating again in the future. Y'all did a kick-ass job. Thank you. Here is a Snickers for each of you. 
And for old time's sake, how about a Charleston chew? Thank you, Mr. Peterson. Happy Halloween. Trick or treat. Can I help you? Well, that depends. Do you have any Kit Kat bars? Heck, I'll take anything without toffee. It's a real bitch on the fillings. Hey, don't call me a bitch. You're the bitch, bitch. What? <laughs> Seriously, though, trick or treat. Aren't you a little old to be trick or treating? Why, is 43 too old to be in the Halloween spirit? And by spirit, I don't mean ghost. Heck, I'm not that old. What? <laughs> Look, I realize this is a little unusual, but, you know, I just moved into the neighborhood and, you know, I figured I'd use trick-or-treating as an excuse to get out and make some new friends. I, I apologize for being so awkward. No, you know, that's, that's quite all right. Uh, that wasn't very neighborly of me, and I apologize. Uh, Bob Peterson. Jeff Montgomery, pleasure to meet you. Oh, you know, this doesn't excuse my behavior, but uh, I hope you'll accept a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Bob, I couldn't think of a better welcoming gift. Oh. Thank you. And just, just out of curiosity, what exactly is your Halloween costume? I'm a sex offender. Excuse me? I'm a sex offender. For Halloween. A sex offender. Yes, pretty convincing, huh? Here, watch this. I'm Jeff Montgomery. By law, I'm required to inform you that I'm a repeat sex offender, and I'll be living in your neighborhood. It's a great costume, right? <laughs> Could you sign and date these, please? What am I signing? Oh, you will get a big kick out of this. You see, as part of my costume, I'm having everyone sign this form acknowledging that there's a sex offender living in the neighborhood, etc., etc. Let's just let's just be clear on something here. Is is sex offender your Halloween costume, or are you fulfilling a legal obligation to declare yourself a sex offender? Bob, lighten up! It's Halloween! Huh? Besides, this is a tradition. You know, I do this every time I move to a new town. Are you, Jeff Montgomery, a sex offender? Am I, Jeff Montgomery, a registered sex offender on Halloween? Yes. What about not on Halloween? Yes, even when it's not Halloween, I'm still Jeff Montgomery. A sex offender. Look, you're missing the point here, Bob. The point is Halloween spirit. The point is trick or treat. The point is, could you sign those papers? All right, okay. You know, last chance, and I will check with the police on this. Do you have a criminal record? Absolutely not. Look, if I am guilty of any crime, it's the crime of sexually assaulting five teenagers. <laughs> Now, this, this is going to sound like a terrible segue, but are you looking for a babysitter? Happy Halloween! What? Okay, now it's time to go to the next review, and this is by Mr. Charlie Brady. He's the indie uh, film director, uh, and, you know, his reviews are uh, from a director's point of view, so that's why I highly enjoy listening to all of his reviews that he does for us. Now, this film is, I believe, the only film that I haven't seen that's going to be reviewed tonight. 
and I was looking forward to it. I, I highly enjoyed Hell House LLC Part 1, and so I'm looking forward to the Part 2, so hopefully it didn't disappoint. So give us your thoughts on it, Charlie. It's been eight years since the opening night tragedy of Hell House LLC, and still many unanswered questions remain. Thanks to an anonymous tip, investigative journalist Jessica Fox is convinced that key evidence is hidden inside the abandoned Abaddon Hotel, evidence that will shed light on the hotel's mysteries. She assembles a team equally hungry for answers with one goal, break into the hotel and discover the truth. And that, of course, is the synopsis for our film today, Hell House LLC 2, The Abaddon Hotel. And this is, of course, by writer-director Stephen Cognetti coming back for a sequel to his Hell House LLC from 2015. Now, one thing I found very interesting about this film is the idea that there's a rumor going around that this is the second part in a planned trilogy, and that would make perfect sense with the way this film is laid out, and the way that the film ends. And I'm not going to get into that because, as you know, if you've listened to my reviews before, I don't like to do spoilers. But at the same time, when it comes to this film, there are several really good things in the film, and there are several things that just kind of leave you lacking a little bit. Now, coming into the film, we have to think about the same concept as always, is the story. Does the story deliver in the same level that the first one did? And I think that it does, and in fact, it adds a lot more to the first film because it gives a lot more background and if you think about the concept if this is indeed a planned trilogy that's the main role of the second film it fills in some of the holes some of the backstory that leads into the third film that's going to answer all those questions developed in the first and second and I think Cognetti does a great job with this in terms of the story because he opens up as many holes as he kind of tries to close from the first one and that makes me really look forward to a perceived third part to this and when you look at this and if you look at the first film it picks up on the same quality level and it continues to make sense in the found footage style at the same time when you look at the idea behind the film how the footage was assembled and released this is where it kind of gets a little bit cliche in fact and this is something I'm not gonna say is a bad thing about the film but I'm just saying that this is where Cognetti was the most original this is the concept of uh, somebody within the news footage area that it is presented in the film that takes the film, takes the footage, and, and releases it, uh, or edits it, and then releases it without the studio's or the network's permission. This isn't anything new. In fact, we saw the exact same thing in Cannibal Holocaust way back in 7980. Uh, so there's nothing new in that. Just the way that he does it is co coherent in the co scope of the film. And it makes a lot of sense. The bad thing about this whole idea is the, the whole bringing in the news trope and feel is the effort, I think, that looks like it went into it. Because there's so much in this film that hinges on the news studio slash talk show segments. And there's so many of them. And they do so little in scope of the story. Uh, but they're, they're so badly done at times. By badly done, I mean... They're green screen. The literally the entire set that they're they're done on is a green screen, and you have floating chairs because the floor is green screen. You have characters that are badly chroma keyed. They're not balanced. They're not blended at all into the background that's used. At the same time, there's a lot of little Easter eggs in this green screen stuff, and I almost wonder if that's why Cognetti wanted to do this type of segment. It's because you can do little 
frame inserts into the background with the what is being projected through the green screen area you can do quick little frame inserts and in fact if you look very closely you will see these little inserts as they'll flash almost just very quickly because it's like one or two frames of the film and it's an interesting way to stick something into what's perceived to be a television show that you wouldn't usually be able to show on television I think Cognetti is actually very good about doing that because it breaks a lot of rules, but at the same time, it adds a lot of visual interest. The bad thing is in all of those scenes, and there's a lot of them in the new studio, is that the green screen itself is not very well done. It's just rough to look at, and it seems like it just wasn't spent a lot of time on, which makes you kind of wonder, And when you're doing a sequel like this, typically you put a little more effort into the sequel. Uh, so where did all that effort go? And I think the key idea to understand where it went is looking at the actual scenes that are shot back in the Avedon Hotel. And that is where the film really picks up. Because aside from all the, the telling, which is everything in the new studio, all they do is they sit there and tell. It's honestly quite boring and it's probably about 25 to 30% of the movie. But I think that's going to be explained the whole bringing everything around to make sense in the third part if there is indeed a third part. When they get to the Abaddon, though, that's where you get a lot of that great background information. And when you get there, the visuals are great. The mood and the tone fit the film. The camera work makes sense. There's no, there's no like, oh, where'd this camera angle come from? Why do we have that? Everything is perfectly logical in the sensibilities of a found footage film. At the same time, looking at the characters who go into the Abaddon in this segment of the film, uh, we have to kind of wonder, why are these people here? Why do I need to care about them as term as character development and things like that? And in general, we're supposed to create that bond in that news segment. And we just don't do that because we kind of hate one of the characters because he's so smug and cocky. And he's just, honestly, he's an asshole and we don't like him at all. So when he does go to the Abaddon, you kind of hope he dies and you kind of assume he's going to. Simply because in any horror film, and especially this kind of movie... You have to have a body count. For, you have to have people for fodder. And that's really all he is, and you can tell from the minute you meet him. And at the same time, we have a returning character who comes back. When you think about the story and what draws them back, Cognetti came up with a really decent reason that makes our main character want to go back to the hotel, and it makes complete sense. But at the same time, you have to ask yourself, is why would anybody actually go back to a place like this after getting out the first time? Why would you go back? But there's always something that draws these people back. And Cognetti does a pretty good reason to get there. And kind of going back to the tone and everything of the film, the tone matches the first film almost perfectly. It's almost like picking up with the, with the story almost right as you left off of it. Um, I find it very interesting that we're, we're so far beyond uh, three years after the first one. And it feels like we've never left the Abaddon Hotel. Uh, all of the set dressing, all the production value, it's all still there, except for all the, the, the lighting that was in the first one, because they were setting up the haunted house in that one, and, and it's been shut down and, and kind of dormant, and that adds its own production value to it, but at the same time, when you, when you walk around this place, it feels like you never left in the first film, and that's a strength in this film, because if it wasn't for that tonality to balance out that kind of lackluster downtime of the new studio cut-ins, then the film would be relatively just downtrodden and be very slow. So when you look at this film, you have to kind of wonder how it stacks up acting-wise against the first film, because the first film had an amazing array of actors who really sold their 
time in this house together and the this the haunting and this the the events going on and honestly you can say that this is a little bit lackluster in this installment several of the characters uh undersell their performances pretty pretty bad but at the same time other ones kind of try to pick up the slack some of the ones that falter are Kyle Engelman who plays Brock Davies uh he's like I said the character from earlier the guy that you want to die and when he does, you're like, oh, okay, good. Let's move on with something more important. But the bad thing is uh, his over-the-top kind of melodramatic wooden performance of his character, it's just a, a standard trope, a stereotype, a cliche that doesn't add anything to the type of character he is. Therefore, it actually detracts from the overall story because it slows it down. It makes you know, oh, I know what's coming. And when we know what's coming, uh, even the, the simple jump scares no, are no longer effective. Um, at the same time, Jillian Gertz, uh, who plays Jessica Fox, doesn't do a bad job. Uh, she, she really conveys a sense of interest, a sense of, uh, mystery, as, and also a sense of, I know something you don't know. And in a film like this, to, in order to get Mitchell to go back to the house, um, she, she really lords that over him, that I know something you don't know, because she received this mysterious package, and she uses that to manipulate a lot of people into going in with her. Um, but at the same time, one thing that really shines in this installment, as in part two of a possible trilogy, is the evolution of the hotel as a character. And a lot of times when we have a house that becomes a character or a building or anything like that becomes a character, it can be very hard to sell and very hard to believe. But with the backstory that Cognetti has established in this film, it really makes it work. It makes you go, hmm, this is interesting. I want to know more about what happened that has led up to why the house is the way it is. You know, wh why, where is this evil coming from, and why do I want to know more about it, and why is it actually indeed so terrifying? Cognetti does a great job at that, and he does a great job at making people, the, the characters by that, um, come in and want to go back in, and even though they know everything that's happened there. So when you think about all that and the supporting cast that goes along with it, everybody from Joy Schatz, who does a great job as Molly, and um, Danny Bellini, who is uh, Alex, uh, you just can't look at this cast and really go, hmm, there's, a, there's a, a horrible actor in the group. Because there's not. There's just some kind of flat performances in the fact that the characters aren't that fleshed out. Brock Davies is, is amusing, and that may be his main point in the film is to just be that comic relief, but I would like to have seen that type of character, that archetrope of a character, come out a little bit more and mean something more to the film as opposed to just be there to identify a, a plot point and then, boom, they're gone. Something like that, which we see a lot in these films. So when we uh, look at an independent film like this, especially a sequel to what was a really good film, we have to ask ourselves, how does it really stack up? And I loved Hell House LLC, and I was really excited about LLC 2, the Abaddon Hotel. So I have to ask myself is, did it live up to my expectations, or was it a sophomoric sequel that didn't live up to the hype? And I have to say, no, it lived up to it. I, it's exactly what I was hoping for. It, it recaptured the magic of the first one and the same concept, the same context. Everything made sense in most ways. Um, the only thing, my biggest gripe, and I, and I said it before, is we spent, we spent way too much time in the news set. 
that slowed the movie down and turned it into a much more of a slow burn than it really needed to be. And because of that, it was underutilized as to what you could have done with that. There was a uh, Shyamalan-type twist at the end of the new segment, which I thought could have been done much, much better in some other way. But at the same time, uh, Cognetti did put together a very, very apt follow-up to his first film. And if indeed this is a second part to a trilogy, I can't wait to see what Cognetti is going to do to bring this whole thing back around and answer all the questions and finish the initial story of the trilogy. So as you know, at the end of all my reviews, I, I give my grade and I basically say, would I buy this movie? So here you go. I give Abaddon Hotel the sequel to Hell House LLC. I give it a B plus, an eight and a half out of 10. I would totally buy this, throw it in my movie collection, right by the other one I did in fact in case anybody wonders if I actually do buy these movies, I did buy the first film. It's on my movie shelf. I am very proud to own that film and support Cognetti and his creative team. And I will surely do the same thing here on Blu-ray or DVD whenever it comes out. And that's the thing is I don't really have any idea on if this will be out any certain time on physical media. But I can tell you right now, if you do want to see this film, to see how it compares in your mind, this film is available right now on Shutter and uh, possibly a few other video on demand type sites. You can also check out the Hellhouse LLC website. Uh, that's an easy Google search away to see where it might be playing aside from Shutter and when and if it will be available on a physical media if you are still collecting physical media. But as for me, I am definitely going to pick this up. I like supporting Cognetti. I like what he's doing, especially in this subgenre of indie and found footage. I hope there is a third part because if not, I am going to be pissed off because there's so many new questions because of the second part. It's got to be finished. So, Cognetti, if for some reason you hear this, make Hell House 3. And I will see you later. Watch it. Make up your own mind. Have fun. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Mr. Brady. I'm sure you did a kick-ass job on the review. I can't wait till you have some projects uh, lined up that we can talk about. Uh, so stay tuned to Mr. Charlie Brady. I'm sure he'll be on many uh, bloody bits to come into the future. All right, so now it's uh, going on to the next review, and it is going to be from a film I highly enjoy. It's called The Apostle, and it is by the director of the Raid films. we got the Cinema Attack crew attacking this film. So take it away, fellas. Hey, what's going on, Cinema Attackers? Welcome to this special Halloween episode of Bloody Bits. Of course, from Cinema Attack, I am the host... Derek Bourgeois, a.k.a. The Boston Brando. And with me today, we don't have uh, my good homie, Matt, because he's out fucking at a con right now, but we have the main man, the dancing Rick Rude himself, W Doubles. What's going on, people? Yeah, Matt's on a con right now. That's why he couldn't join us for this. I didn't want to really bother him because he's prepping for the con and stuff. But it's all good. We'll have Matt back for uh, the next episode of our show. But yeah, W, it's fun to be back on the bloody bits. And we actually have a good movie this time. Hell yeah, that's that's a refreshing <laughs> thought right there. That's awesome. Yeah, so first off, thank you, Jason, for actually uh, 
doing it a little differently this time. He gave us like stuff that was actually streaming for uh, this episode. So that was actually cool that we actually got the chance to watch something that was readily available for all of the hosts to watch. Yeah, so the film that we are doing is a 2018 film called Apostle, uh, directed by Gareth Evans, who we know probably most notably for directing the Raid films, right? Yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah, and I actually, uh, he also directed the the VHS 2 segment, Safe Haven, which is probably the best segment of any VHS film ever. Yeah, definitely the best one in part two, for sure. Yeah, probably the whole series, to be honest. Let's, let's face it. Even though I do like the Alien one. But uh, I also have seen his first film, too, which was Footsteps, which was released by Unearth Films. So it was kind of cool to see this guy grow as a director. So, yeah, the plot of Apostle. In 1905, a drifter on a dangerous mission to rescue his kidnapped sister tangles with a sinister religious cult on an isolated island. Short and sweet, it that's pretty much the gist of what's going on with this one. We have our main character, Tom, played by uh, Dan Stevens. who You recognize him, right, Dub? He looked familiar, man, but remind me where he's from. He's he's the main guy from The Guest. Mm. And, okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah he, he has that look with the, the, the striking eyes. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get right into the review, man. Uh, yeah, very tense like throughout it like the whole beginning sequence where tom is getting the gist of what's going on and what happened to his sister yeah it definitely starts off with a kick and uh (laughs) you know i mean the basic gist of this one you you did touch on but there's a lot of characters and some other like intertwining storylines going on in this flick so don't don't let it be thought that it's really simple flick there's a lot yeah definitely it uh, the, the one film that this reminded me of when I was watching it was Black Death. It had kind of that aesthetic look. You you remember that film, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, and I could kind of get the witch kind of aesthetic too. Just the whole period piece thing is cool. Yeah, it, it, it kind of reminded me more of Black Death with like the whole cult aspect of like the village mm-hmm. and just the way that the village went down and how they fucking did with some of their. Uh, philosophies in life you know my favorite part of the whole story was i mean not to get too much away but the whole the tree aspect the kind of mother earth aspect i guess you could say yeah man i I really liked how they played on that and you know without giving too much away because i really want people to see this movie Mm -hmm. there is a supernatural aspect and uh the, it's kind of this laden if this guy is making this shit up or is there really a supernatural and when we do discover uh, what's going on with this island per se it's like wow <laughs> like uh, great acting though like Dan Stevens was fucking tremendous in this role he's a British actor uh, I'm not sure if the whole cast is, like Michael Sheen I recognize he plays uh, Malcolm the head uh, of the island He's fucking great. You probably recognize him from uh, Underworld. Yeah, man. Yeah, what a great sinister, you know, protagonist going on there. He's he just gives uh, some really emotional performances in this, honestly. Yeah, man. The whole cast, uh, the, the the woman who plays his daughter, terrific. I liked the interactions between her and 
uh, Tom. It was really genuine, and you could see that she was a caring person. She wanted to believe that the faith was real and, and good for the people, even though there was some shady shit going down behind the scenes, as we've seen as the viewers. And, I mean, what about what about the grinder, man? Oh, my God. The purification scene? Fuck. He's just one of the coolest, like, mass figures I've seen in a while. Like, really cool looking. Oh, my God. That was so... That whole scene was tremendous, man. That was a cool mask, too, that that guy was wearing. Yeah, it was like... It, it was kind of... The, the way I would describe it, it was kind of like Cub. But it was more, like, made out of twines instead of, like, a solid piece of wood. If that makes any sense. It's like a wicker basket almost kind of looking thing. Yeah. It was fucking tremendous. Yeah. How did you feel about like uh, some aspects? Were you okay with everything about this movie? The only downfalls were like the slower kind of, I felt like it was getting romantic part in, just in that period piece. But I mean, yeah. it quickly took a turn and, you know, I kind of respect why they did that. You know, looking back, so... Are you talking about, like, the characters of Jeremy and Fionn? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you kind of felt like kind of fairy tale, and, you know, being a period piece, like... Yeah, is this going to be a love story drama, or is this really going to be horror? But, I mean, you quickly find out it's definitely a horror flick. Yeah, I, I kind of didn't mind those, because it was kind of like the, the calm before the, the shit fucking hit the fan exactly. scenes, which... And then when the shit does hit the fan, it impacts those scenes even more powerful, especially what happens to those characters, mm-hmm. which is kind of tragic in a way. Especially that whole purification scene, man. That shit was fucking powerful, man. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, it's, it's a dark and traumatic movie for sure. Yeah, it's it's a it it actually runs for pretty good. It's smoothly for a t- over two hour movie too. I didn't. I was very intrigued throughout it. I didn't feel like it was overlong or anything. Of course, there were some like more talky parts, especially with like the whole getting to know the character gist. But I felt bad for that fucking sheep on the boat too, man. Fuck. Oh man, yeah, that that scene caught me off guard. I didn't expect that. Yeah. The cult. I mean, the cult kind of aspect's really cool too. I mean, yeah, I liked how they were looked with the kind of looked like black clans members in a way if that's sounds you know is fucking fucked but that's the way they look to me it's definitely creepy man it's it's effective and they had their own bodyguards that chase people i was like holy shit what the fuck's going on with this movie <laughs> there's a lot of the whole fucking climax is fucking action-packed too some of the best like the knife and realistic gore effects in my opinion i was gonna say there is some great gore you can't sell it short on that aspect either Oh, that whole scene without giving too much away, just a knife going down somebody's torso. Fuck, man. That was fucking great. Just, I, the creature affects the looks, too, man. The mask we already touched. I mean, those are... Yeah, the, the whole, like, yeah, the whole, like, aesthetic of, like, what's going on with what's in the barn, pretty much. That whole scene's fucking... Those effects are fucking great on that person or thing that was in there without giving too much away. This is a tough movie to talk about without spoiling, too. I, I kind of really want, is, you know, I, I kind of want to do that maybe like a side show on this one on our own show where we just give away everything. I, I want to get Matt involved too because I want to see what Matt thinks about this movie. Yeah. I think he would dig it. 
I think a lot of the bloody bits listeners will as well. Yeah, man. I think I love it, man. <laughs> so I think that's all we got to really say about it without going too crazy into it. But you guys, no, you want to give your rating for this movie? I mean, I'm I'm going solid. I'm going pretty high on this nine out of ten. I I was thoroughly impressed with the fossil. Oh man, yeah, I'm right there, man. I I fucking loved it. Uh, I I'm, I'm at a nine out of ten. Also, it, it's tremendous. Uh, this is one of the best watches I had in a while, man. Hell yeah! Just terrific acting and atmosphere throughout it. I loved all the nighttime scenes. It was fucking great. Yeah, man, definitely check it out, people, on Netflix. Netflix, yeah. Gareth Evans, man, I can't wait to see what he fucking does next. If he did, this is a Netflix movie. Imagine what he does next, you know? Yeah, this is this is best film I venture to say that I've seen. Yeah, I like I like the raid movies. They're not for everyone because they're more actiony, but but you know it's great, man. The, he's a great director. I can't wait to see what he does next. So, yeah, that's it for our segment of uh, Bloody Bits, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can find me on YouTube at dbougie86. You can find Dubby. We're at Dub. Dubby Doubles. On YouTube, yes. And as always, you can find us on Cinematech and Horophilia. And as always, people, check out the Cinematech Facebook group where I'm going to leave a little hint uh, probably on the day of Halloween of our next CAC commentary coming up. I don't want to really spoil that. I'd like to let people guess what those are, you know? Oh, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And we could find us on the Facebook group where we just not talk about Apostle movies. We don't not talk about Netflix movies. We talk about every movie. Have a happy Halloween, guys, and definitely check out the rest of the cast. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you, Jason. Good luck with the show, man. Peace. All right. Thank you guys for that review. Now, make sure you check out their podcast, Cinema Attack. You know, they're not just a horror-only podcast like most of ours on the network. They actually review other uh, cultish-type movies, action movies. So make sure you give them a go, and I'm sure uh, you'll find something you'll enjoy. Okay, now before we get on to the next review, we're going to take another little musical break. And this is one of my favorite new songs off the soundtrack. Uh, the song off the Halloween 2018 soundtrack is called The Shape Hunts Allison. And it kind of reminds me of like a Suspiria type of vibe to it. I don't know. But it's a kick-ass song, so here we go. Okay, we're getting pretty close to the end. Only two more reviews. The next review is going to be from Mr. Watson, and it is called Witch in the Window, and it is uh, currently available on Shutter. I can't wait to hear Mr. Watson's thoughts on this. I, I'm pretty sure I think he gave me a hint that he uh, enjoyed this film, so looking forward to his review because I know I, I enjoy it. Take it away, sir.
Hey, what's up everyone? I'm Mr. Watson, the host of Horror Corridor, a psychologically oriented, pseudo-academic and kick-ass solo cast where I make various attempts to wax intellectual about the horror genre. I think I'm often successful and we'll see if that's the case right here and now as I give you my feature review of The Witch in the Window 2018. If you've heard me on Bloody Bits before and I've been on here a lot, my friends, you know the drill and if not, here's how we'll do it. I'll give a quick film setup provide you with my likes and dislikes, and I'll just wrap it up with some final thoughts and ratings. So if that sounds good to you, let's jump right in. Folks, this film focuses on separated father Simon and his estranged 12-year-old son Finn. Finn has gotten himself into some serious trouble with his mother, so Simon, despite his passive role as an absentee father, steps in to help by whisking the young boy away from his mother's home in New York and out to rural Vermont to help him flip an old farmhouse. The idea is that they can tackle this project together, make up for lost time, and by summer's end they can have a home to show for it. The problem is that while making their renovation, Simon and Finn encounter the malicious spirit of the previous owner of the home, an infamously cruel woman named Lydia, who with every repair they make to the house only grows stronger. Alright peeps, what we got in this film is an understated and subtle take on the haunted house narrative that relies more on character-driven story than on flashy frills and gimmicks. And so, if you go into this film understanding that we're dealing with a work that's aiming to explore the relationships of the people populating the script's pages, as opposed to giving viewers scare after scare, then you'll have little trouble being on board for the art that these filmmakers are intending to create. See, haunted house films can feel dusty and gothic, they can feel oppressively evil and demonic, they can be cheap and overblown, we've all... We've all seen countless examples of each of those things, right? Well, with The Witch in the Window here, we're working with a smaller scale story that's playing its hand a bit more on the modest side of the coin, and part of this comes from the fact that our primary setting, the house in question, it's not old and spooky, nor does it radiate any kind of initial evil prior to the titular witch making her first appearance. No, this house just looks and feels normal, which is part of both its charm and its potential for horror. So getting into likes here, Allow me to just put it out there that this is one of the best portrayals of a father-son relationship I've seen in a horror movie in a very long time. In fact, this is the reason why I wanted to do this review specifically, despite believing that there are several other superior films in the mix on this episode that I could have gotten to before anyone else. It's what happens when you're online, right, as Jason posts the films up for grabs. You know, I had my pick of the litter and chose this because I can personally speak to the authenticity and the father-son dynamic between Simon and Finn, you know, after all. You throw an additional two or three years onto the boy, knock about seven to ten off the dad, and you've got my son Lil Watt and me doing our thing as a couple of gentlemen versus the world. Parenting a teenager isn't easy, but this film succeeds in not giving us the tired cliches and genre trappings that all too often come when you've got a teen in the mix. You know, they're grumpy, they're wearing headphones, screw that. (laughs) What I'm saying here is that there is valuable nuance to the characters, and I like to see such careful consideration taken in that regard. Simon, the father, man, he's a good man, but since he's not currently with Finn's mom, he's more or less out of the picture just spending his time flipping houses and making ends meet. Finn is a good boy who's fallen into some trouble over violating computer privileges in such a way that his mother was alright just sending him away for the summer. And what plays out between this father and son team, you know, they're not perfect people, it's not what I expected. Simon is aware of his flaws as a father and as a husband, and he wants to make things right. Finn, who at first comes off as that kind of cliched troubled teen, honestly loves his dad and is eager to help him fix up the house, and I loved seeing that eagerness. It was really refreshing. And it's here where I think the grand theme of the film lies, my friends. This is a mild, mild spoiler, okay? Nothing too crazy, folks, but we find out pretty quickly on that Simon isn't merely flipping this house to sell it. 
for dollars, right? No, he's sunk in his entire savings into this place so that once it's finished, he'll have an idyllic home to present to his ex-wife so that they can bring their family back together again. And so this construction project, this remodel, serves as an allegory for the reparations that Simon's trying to make in the lives of his son and the woman he's loved and lost. By fixing up this farmhouse, he can fix the damaged relationships he holds dear. And here's the deal, everyone. It's a partial success in that this undertaking is drawing Simon and Finn closer to one another. It's heartwarming, really, everyone, to watch the scenes where they're working on the house together, just talking about life and spending time together. It's what would happen between a father and son. The problem is that this house isn't without its dark side. Through an interesting third character named Lewis, who's an electrician neighbor who is all too familiar with this house, we find that a bad old woman lived and died there, and her influence can be felt even outside the walls of Simon's and Finn's potential home. In fact, we find that as Simon and Finn work to fix the house up, the titular witch in the window grows in power. You might say that her presence there in the house is the obstacle that stands in the way of making this family whole again, which goes to show that there is always that black spot of doubt and insecurity that can ruin the best laid plans. So let's talk about the witch herself. I'd like to note how the horror in this film is treated. Writer-director Andy Mitten did last year's We Go On, which was a favorite of mine from last year. I think it cracked my top 15. And that film succeeded in the same way this film does in that they both take an intimate and minimalistic approach to ghosts. I believe that we're used to seeing the supernatural film with a certain aesthetic, something that tips its hat to the idea that something otherworldly is on screen, right? But this movie doesn't give us any of that. Mitten doesn't use any filmmaking techniques to alter the aesthetic of the film, nor are there any special effects to speak of to give us a big show of things. No, this witch is there, okay? <laughs> Just a woman in scary makeup. She's manipulative in the way she uses her powers on the living, and it's only getting worse, and, and you don't need a big stage production to make that happen. It's, it's, it's really well done just how careful they were not to go too big. Now, one last thing I'd like to speak on as it pertains to the ghost herself, besides the fact that she's pretty scary, is that when she chooses to present herself first in subtle ways and then just full on, I loved how we didn't have that whole conflict between Simon and Finn where one of them sees the ghost and the other doesn't believe. I'm so sick of that. But this story here makes it clear that both our main characters saw the ghost, she saw them, and they don't know what to do. It's similar to how it would be if Lil Watt and I saw a ghost together. We'd flip out and run the hell out of there. Now, there are scenes involving a chair by a window that are incredibly tense. There's a scene dealing with Simon repeatedly trying to leave the house that is pretty terrifying. There's even just a random little shot where the witch's face is visible to us, but not to our characters. And if you blink, you'll miss it. Right there in the beginning of the film, and it's pretty neat. So folks, for a low-budget ghost story, this works well. Now, dislikes. I only have one. But it's big. When the third act gets going, when it's time to deal with this ghost, there's a, folks, there's a grand leap in logic that one of our characters makes that carries us into our bittersweet ending, and it's so rushed, so quickly handled that I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I felt like I missed something. It was that sudden and harder wrap-up. It was essentially like, well, I have no idea what the ghost really wants, but we'll try this random thing, and hey, it worked. Bye. R roll credits. See ya. I don't know, folks, it's possible I'm reading this ending harshly, but this film works hard within its limited framework to give us a solid buildup and then brick wall. I still find this film favorable, though, but this just knocked a whole point or more off the score for me. So speaking of points, we're already here. Let's get into final thoughts and ratings, everyone. If you're OK with your horror having a fat dose of drama in the mix, 
if you enjoy haunted house narratives that err on the subtle side. If you want to see a scary witch lady and a great father-son dynamic, then you'll see something you like here. However, I do believe a lot of viewers will find the end of the film to be a disappointing swerve in the wrong direction, which is such a shame because this film really was doing everything right up until then. Still, this is a pretty satisfying enough one-time watch, and I'm giving it a 7.5 out of 10, the classic Jason Lloyd rating. And that does it for me, everyone. That's all she wrote. I'd normally plug my own podcast at this point, but I just, I don't want any new listeners. The, the Facebook group page, it's already too big and too many people are posting. I, I don't need more. So, Horror Corridor, don't listen to it. Uh, <laughs> so, thank you very much for including me, Jason. I'm always happy to be on your show. You are the best. Enjoy the rest of the show, folks. Back to you, buddy. Thank you, Mr. Watson, for their review. I'm sure you did a kick-ass job like normal. If you're not familiar with Mr. Watson, make sure you check out the Horror Corridor podcast. It is top-notch quality stuff. I guarantee you, once you listen, you'll be a fan. All right, so now, before we move on to the final review, which is by myself, we're going to have one more musical break, and it is a song by Eminem talking about Halloween. Take it away, Em. Shady's back. And I'm pissed off And I'm not just pissed off about you know who I'm pissed off about some other shit too I'ma drop a couple bars Candy bars You don't wanna cross swords with me in 2017 Got some Halloween pet peeves affects me intensely Like that weird ass lady who gives out them candy apples That sticky gunk got stuck in my Chewbacca mask you asshole They're too hard to eat Horses can't even bite them They're responsible for more knocked out teeth than Mike Tyson And that dad with that elaborate Halloween show every year That just reeks of a sad unfulfilled acting career And if you got nut allergies I feel bad for you son I ate 99 Reese's You got killed by one And can we stop the goddamn costumes that are just internet memes I'm crying Michael Jordan I'm a poop emoji Oh thanks hippie family who just handed me some green tea Don't be surprised tonight if you're the only house with TP That robot outfit slowing the whole group down Halfway through your new costume it's just a sweaty head and a frown On this Halloween 2017 Safe in my crib, that is where I'll be Cause I can't stand you people More annoying than evil Every pumpkin I see enrages me Cause it reminds me of that pumpkin chief Sorry, I'm digressing, and that's not today's lesson. I can't stand these damn costumes that are based on a pun. I'm barely legal. I'm a hole in one. Rule of thumb, it's not funny if it has to be explained. It's Halloween, which who said we were playing charades? All the sexy cats from last year are going out as handmaids, which doesn't look too promising for bros who want to get laid. Basic witches at the party aren't having any fun. They take pictures that are already, then they leave when they are done. I got a bunch of retweets and about a thousand likes. I'm Harvey Weinstein. And it's a pun? Please die. And don't be a football player taking a knee. I support Cap, but your ass is gonna have to stand eventually. What are you? Bob's burger cast was great till you got separated. Out of context, Bob's just some a-hole in an apron. What are you? Fools and ghosts don't frighten me compared to our reality. So screw this Halloween jam. Cause the rhymes in my mouth are about to melt in your hand. Every time I see the color orange, all I see is red. And all I can think about is that big fat motherfucker's head. I'm seething as I'm reading his tweets and I can't breathe and suddenly I'm Negan from a baseball bat I'm reaching You can call me Billy Corgan cause I'm smashing all these pumpkins I'm pretty sure the stinking gourd's a metaphor for something Alright, now all good things must come to an end It's time for the final review of the night And it is going to be by yours truly And it is a film called Office Uprising Now I've given my theory before on this I don't know, it's been a while since I talked about it But 
if you look on IMDB, I don't give IMDB ratings much credence uh, because they use a weighted average, which kind of doesn't make sense to me. Uh, if you want to see a more accurate rating of films that are on IMDB, what I highly recommend that you do is click on the number of ratings and it gives a statistical breakdown of uh, how many people rated it, one, two, three, all the way up to ten. Uh, and that gives you a much more accurate, uh, that I found, and personally, much more accurate way of rating a film of what most people, the majority of people think about it. So, for example, this film is averaging a six and a half out of ten on IMDb, uh, the weighted average they use. But if you look at it closer, uh, the breakdown of the ra uh, ratings, 74% of the people rate the film anywhere from a 7 all the way up to a 10. Uh, majority of the ratings were 7 and 10 ratings, to be honest with you here. So as you can see, uh, you know, that the weighted average doesn't come out to what people truly think about it. Uh, anyway, I'll just point that out here because it is a kick-ass film. It's really fun. Uh, the film is directed by Lynn Oding, I believe is how you say his name. And Lynn is basically a stunt coordinator. He actually was the lead stunt coordinator on uh, The Equalizer. He also was a stuntman on Spider-Man Homecoming, The Fate of the Furious, Logan, so, so some pretty big name films here. So he knows what he's doing when it comes to the stunt choreography, and you can definitely tell in this film. Uh, now, he's only directed two films. He's done a lot of TV work, but the two films he's directed uh, were both released this year. One of them is a film called Braven. And it stars Jason Momoa, Mr. Aquaman, and also this film, Office Uprising. Alright, I'll go ahead and read a brief synopsis here. And the best one I found is actually from Rotten Tomatoes. Office Uprising follows the story of an underachiever working at a major weapons manufacturing firm who finds out that his co-workers have been weaponized by Zolt, a new energy drink designed for the military. So I'm going to break this film down. First, we're going to discuss the actors in the film. Uh, as far as the protagonists here, uh, the, probably the main actress that most horror fans are going to recognize is Jane Levy. Uh, she's, a, of course, from the Evil Dead uh, remake. She's also in Don't Breathe. She plays a character named Sam. Uh, she's basically this nerdy girl that's in love with her best friend. And her best friend is named Desmond. And he's uh, basically the, the main hero of the film. He's this lovable loser, hero kind of a guy. And he's played by uh, Brenton Thwaites. Now, I wasn't too familiar with his work, but apparently he was in Oculus. And he was in the latest Pirates of the Caribbean film. So he does have some decent acting credits behind him. Uh, I thought he was really good in the film. He had a, he had a pretty good presence, and he made a, a really good lead, actually. And then the other two uh, office buddies in the film, the, the protagonists, you have a, a guy named uh, Murad, or Morad, I believe, and he's played by Karen Sony. And if the name doesn't sound familiar, he is the cab driver from the Deadpool movies. And his character actually gets the best one-liners in the film. And his character is basically, he's a, he's a Muslim, but he's also a pacifist. Uh, so that plays a big part into his character in the film. And then the final uh, protagonist is a guy named Leavenworth. Uh, he's an older guy. He's played by Kurt Fuller. And if Kurt Fuller's name doesn't sound familiar, he's in tons of stuff. He's uh, from old school stuff. He's, it was, he was in Ghostbusters, The Running Man. And most recently, he was a, did a lot of TV stuff. He was in a, a show called Psych and also Parenthood. He's the character that gets the least screen time, but he is 
one of the protagonists of the film. He actually gets laid off in the movie uh, from his job, but he still manages to be trapped in the building with everyone. <laughs> so those are the four protagonists, uh, which I'll get into more to the more into the story here in a moment. And then now I'm going to get into the lead villains of the film. So the very lead villain uh, that gets the most screen time is the accounting boss. His name is Mr. Nuzbaum, and he's played by Zachary Levi. If his name doesn't sound familiar, he has starred in uh, Chuck on TV for a few years, and he is now going to be in the up-and-coming uh, DC Shazam movie. So he's he plays the adult Shazam guy. His character is extremely over-the-top. And the next villain, as you will, is the CEO uh, of the company of the office building they're in, and that is played by uh, Greg Henry. Uh, he plays uh, Mr. Gant, is his name in the film. And this actor has been in tons of stuff. He's been in Slither. He actually was the lead bad guy that gets revealed in the Belko experiment. And he also plays Grandpa Quill from both the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Uh, he's a fantastic character actor, and he just knocks it out of the park in this. He's basically this brazen asshole Texan guy. He wears a 10-gallon hat, swigs whiskey. He has a shotgun with a fish tank full of shells in his uh, office. Uh, the next villain is a guy uh, played by Sam Daly. He plays Marcus Gant, and he's actually the nephew of the CEO. He's a racist dude. He ends up taunting Mo and Desmond about being laid off. And he's basically just bragging how he, he can't get fired because his uh, uncle is the CEO of the company. And then the final uh, quote-unquote villain of the film is uh, Ian Harding. He plays an asshole R&D scientist. He ends up making uh, this Zolt Rage Cola, which is, is the big cause of all the hoopla that's going on in the film. All right, so now to get uh, further into the story here. All right, so the film takes uh, place in Fort Worth, Texas. Yeah. And we have uh, Ammo Tech is the name of the company. And you find out they're one of the leading makers of weapons in the world. Uh, they actually invent new kinds of uh, guns, stun guns. Uh, you even find out they make this robo exoskeleton suit that can be uh, basically uh, if it's out in the field and it runs low on fuel, the uh, the person operating the suit can grab dead animals or soldiers and feed it into the back of the uh, suit and it actually turns the blood and bones into some type of fuel. So the basic premise of the film is the layoffs are coming to the company and Mr. Nuzbaum uh, he calls Desmond into his office and he tells him if he doesn't have this report that he's been working on for almost a month, if he does it in the, doesn't have it ready in the next few days, he's going to be fired. Uh, now Desmond, he also wants to impress his friend that works there, which is Jane Levy, uh, plays Sam. Uh, so finally he decides to stop being a slacker and he wants to leave work early so he can work on this report so he doesn't get fired. And while he's, uh, while he leaves the office building, the other co-workers, uh, they end up going to this pep talk seminar that they're holding at work, and they're given the Zolt Cola to try out. Uh, so you find out the cola basically eats away at your brain and makes you a raging lunatic. So Desmond disappears for the remainder of the day after a night of playing around with his roommates and half-assing the report. He goes back to work. When he arrives at work, he notices there's no security guards at the gate. Uh, he arrives in the office, and you see that the people are killing each other, attacking each other. His uh, boss, Nuzbaum, calls him in, and he ends up basically getting attacked by Nuzbaum. So Desmond is running for his life, and while he's uh, trying to escape out of the building, he actually meets up with his co-worker buddies. Uh, he meets up first up with Sam, and Jane Levy, she only drank part of the cola, 
So she's uh, only partially affected by the rage disease that the cola causes. So she goes in and out of rage mode. After she attacks him, he does manage to subdue her and he duct tapes her to a dolly that he wheels around the office. He eventually finds his buddy Mo. Uh, Mo is a Muslim, so he was on Ramadan, so he didn't drink any of the cola, so he didn't get affected. Uh, and then finally, Leavenworth, the older man, he was fired, uh, but he came back the very next day to come get his uh, belongings. So he's also unaffected by the cola. So you have these uh, four co-workers uh, trying to escape the building. Uh, Desmond accidentally trying to escape out of a window. He sets off the alarm and these metal barriers, a la the Boko experiment, uh, surround the entire building. So they have no way of escaping. They actually, uh, the, the phone service, it's a long story, but they can't call for help. Uh, the phone services, uh, the only way out is to make their way up to the executive floor, to the CEO, and get the CEO to, to, to deactivate the barrier and call in reinforcements. Uh, so that's the essential uh, crux of the movie here, is you have these four characters are trying to make their way up the floors. Uh, they have to make their way past marketing, human resources, sales department, and each department has their own situation. They have to figure out uh, of how to escape them or get around them. Uh, and while all this is going on, Zachary Levi, Mr. Nuzbaum, he's actually gathering troops uh, on his side. He wants to take over the office building and, and be the leader, basically. So he goes through the building also, taking out department heads. Now, to describe the tone of this film, it's I would say it is Grandma's Boy meets Mayhem. As you can tell, the story is really similar to Mayhem overall. I think in Mayhem, it was something that was in the air, but in this film, it's just that rage cola. It's really similar side effects. Uh, people get into rage mode. Not, not everyone goes straight to killing, but they do get aggressive and do their own little quirky things. Uh, so, I mean, that's extremely similar to Mayhem. And, you know, I'm not saying it copied from Mayhem because, uh, the way, because this was actually released earlier this year. So I'm pretty sure that both films are probably in production at the same time. Uh, so I doubt there was any type of borrowing from characters, just, you know, happy coincidence. Uh, but the characters in the comedy of the film, it actually reminded me quite a bit of Grandma's Boy. If you've never seen Grandma's Boy, I highly recommend it. It's actually one of these Happy Madison films that doesn't star Adam Sandler, but it's most of his buddies here. Uh, really funny, silly film. Now, now this film is probably not quite as sim uh, silly as Grandma's Boy, but it does have sport a similar tone, at least in the comedy area. So why am I recommend this film? I think the film really works on a few levels here. Uh, first off, you have really likable, relatable characters. Uh, while the comedy in the film wasn't laugh-out funny, I thought it was really cleverly written and clever dialogue throughout the whole film that pretty much had me smiling most of the whole time. Uh, the pacing and editing of the movie is really well done. I don't think there was any real real downtime or scenes that I thought were unnecessary. Now, speaking of editing, there is one transition scene that is one of the best I've ever seen. Uh, and I'll try to explain it here. Desmond, when he goes home to do his report, uh, well, as soon as he arrives, his uh, roommate slacker buddies, they talk him into playing a live game of Mario Kart which basically consists of them dressing up like the Mario Kart characters, and they race down an alleyway in grocery carts, trying to race each other to the finish line, while at the same time they're hitting each other with hockey sticks <laughs> and going around barriers. Uh, but the end of the race ends up uh, having Desmond's uh, cart that he's riding in. It ends up getting knocked over. Desmond does a front flip out of the cart, and the next thing you know, he does a front roll, 
and then the scene transitions to uh, the completion of the front roll, and Desmond lands into his chair in his desk in his apartment, which is <laughs> fantastic. I, I know it had to be, you know, pretty much CGI, but the way they did it was amazing. A really cool scene. It's hard to explain, but it's a <laughs> really badass moment of the film. Now, as far as the horror element of it, a majority of the close-up kills, when they do close-up battles, those are all practical effects. Uh, there was definitely CGI enhancements during the film, especially during the gun blasting scenes, uh, which just leads to the next positive. The action choreography in the film was top-notch. Uh, you get one big out-and-out uh, -out office brawl where uh, the characters have to end up fighting the sales team before they make it to the CEO. And uh, Jane Levy, and I'm sure her stunt double, uh, this is a scene where they get to shine. Uh, some really creative action sequences. Uh, one creative action scene in particular uh, involves that bowl full of shotgun shells. Uh, and then the whole last third act of the film is an action-packed finale. Uh, basically, Desmond and Moe, they have to end up getting some antidote before Sam fully turns rage. Uh, and, and in order to do that, they have to end up battling Mr. Nuzbomb in his warehouse full of workers. And the whole finale has moments of parkour, wire foo, gun foo. Uh, the exoskeleton with the machine gun and rockets is used. Uh, <laughs> now, the Amotech Company also has a weapons museum in there. So, uh, Desmond and Moe, they get armed to the teeth with World War II weapons. They have drum guns, C4, sliding landmines. It's just a really fantastic action-packed last act. Uh, if I have any negatives of the film, why I didn't mind Zachary Levi... Uh, his character, I've seen complaints of him being way too over the top. I mean, he is extreme in the film, but I think it, it fits his character. I didn't have an issue with it, but I can see how some people would. Uh, there's also a side story of Desmond making his own video game. Uh, and I thought the video game stuff they showed looked like crap. <laughs> it was a little bit unnecessary side story. I know why they did it, but that they didn't have, they could have probably, uh, implemented that a little better. Now, upon the first time I saw the film, I've actually seen it twice, but the first time I watched it, I uh, thought that uh, it lacked uh, severely uh, Jane Levy. Uh, she is strapped to a dolly most of the film, and in the very last act of the film, she's completely missing. I wanted more of her, and then the second time I watched it, I realized she was in it a lot more than what I originally thought, but I still probably wanted a little bit more of her character. Uh, speaking of wanting more, I wanted more of the racist nephew. Uh, I thought he, they, whoever that actor was, I thought he was hilarious. Uh, I just wanted more of him just because I enjoyed his character so much. Uh, and also, if I have any other negatives, I think the film kind of wrapped up fairly predictable. Uh, and that probably is the only thing that's uh, stopping me from putting it into the quote-unquote great category. Uh, but this, on my personal scale, is going to be as close as you can get to the great category. Now, in 2018, there hasn't been too many great comedy horror films. Uh, and I'm just going off the top of my head, uh, but I know I really enjoy Dead Shack. And Dead Shack may have better individual moments in the film. Uh, and also Bloodfest may have some better gore overall. But I think uh, Office Uprising is definitely a more consistent film than both of them. So, altogether, it is easily my favorite horror comedy of the year so far. And, you know, it just, misses, it just barely misses out my great rating. I'm going to give it a solid 7.75 out of 10. If you're into horror comedies, this is definitely a must-watch. Uh, I've seen it twice, and I can easily say I could probably watch it again next year. So, it does uh, also have a rewatch value, which actually helps quite a bit, in my opinion. So, if it sounds cool, 
The way to watch this film uh, is currently on Crackle. If you're asking what the hell is Crackle, it is an app that you can download pretty much for your, I believe it's for your phone, tablets, uh, Fire TV, Xbox, PlayStation 4. It's a free app and it is a films that you can watch, but they do have, they're for free, but it does have advertisements that play throughout it. I'll be honest, it did have a little bit too many commercials for my personal liking. If that, if you have an issue with that, probably hold off and wait a little bit and maybe it'll be released on disc fairly soon. But at this moment, uh, from what I gather, you can't see it any other way than Crackle. It's an exclusive to Crackle. It's not on VOD anywhere or any other streaming services. So if it sounds cool, I highly recommend checking it out right away. If not, at least make sure you check it out as soon as it comes to disc. Alright, so that's all I got for my review. I know those are really extremely long-winded review. And I just want to thank uh, everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I love doing these podcasts, uh, especially these joint ones of other podcasters. Extremely easy to put together. That's one of the reason I like it. Very easy to edit, and uh, you can slap up together in no time. And you get uh, varied opinions from some of your, hopefully, your favorite podcasters out there. If all these films sounds cool, I will have reminders in the show notes of how you can watch them. That's all I got for now. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoyed all the other Halloween-themed episodes on the Horophilia Network of Podcasts. If you want to follow me, I'm on Twitter at Horophilia, which I'll be honest, I don't post very much. But I am very active on our Facebook group, which is under Bloody Bits. So if you're not a member of Bloody Bits, make sure you join there. Uh, I have been doing tons of giveaways lately here. So giving away Blu-rays, DVDs, voodoo codes. So there's a really good chance uh, you'll have of winning something if you join the group. So that's all I got for now. We'll end it with one last song. Until next time, peace. Yeah, yeah. I said you on fire with gas and a lighter. You scream when I say I'll kill you that way, Sydney.
damn hillbilly. Enough of that backwards bullshit. Jason, Michael, bring it back, bitch. No matter the distance, I want you to know that I can guarantee. I say you on fire with gas and a lighter. I say, I say.